Episode 71 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on March 17th, 2018. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. stream to talk about game update 5.8. I'll tell you what they had to say about returning companions, Isaacs, and the gods from the machine operation. Could the Nathema conspiracy solve the mystery of the gravestone and the dark sanctuary? Grab your tinfoil hats, I've got a wild theory to share with you. Finally this week, I continue my story project when I tell you what the Imperials are up to on the war-torn world of Balmora. And with that, it's time to make the jump to light speed and check out the State of the Old Republic. Welcome to Episode 71 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. As always, let's start with some announcements for the Old Republic. Only one item for you today, and that's a reminder that Game Update 5.8 will go live on March 20th, 2018. Included in this update are the Conquest revamp, which I talked about last episode. There are a couple of companions coming back, Ashara Zavros for Sith Inquisitors and Vector Hillis for Imperial Agents. Remember that you must complete Chapter 9 of Knights of the Eternal Throne to receive the Alliance Alerts. Game Update 5.8 also includes the Arkin Romance. Then there's the Commander's Compendium, which allows you to instantly boost a Companion to Influence Level 50. It costs 4.25 million credits and three Dark Projects. We're getting Isaacs, the final boss in the Gods from the Machine operation. He'll have both Story and Veteran Modes. However, Veteran Mode is tuned as if it's Master Mode. If you defeat Isaacs in Veteran Mode before May 1st, You'll earn a special achievement and a very cool legacy reward. So that's it for the announcements. Let's slice the holonet and get to the news this week. In anticipation of Game Update 5.8, Eric Musco, Charles Boyd, and Matt Pusevich, the encounter designer for Star Wars The Old Republic, held a live stream on March 12th to discuss companions, Isaacs, and the design philosophy behind the Gods from the Machine operation. I'm sure at this point Charles is tired of getting asked about returning companions and despite telling us the plan is to bring them all back, until they're actually all back, we're going to keep asking, are we there yet? Well, two of the companions that remain high on most people's wish list are Kira Carson and Lord Scourge. Charles gave us a little insight on what's happening with them. Uh, There's already spam of bring Kira. Do you have anything to say to those people? I believe I've said it. On every stream we've done for the last <laughs> three or four months. Well, we're being consistent. But they are coming back. Uh, they are not in this specific update, admittedly. Uh, but Kira's coming back. Scourge's coming back. we got some Felix action coming up real soon. Uh, I will say we had something a little special in mind for Kira and Scourge in particular. Um, so they may be a little further out than the others, but they are coming. Cool. And uh, I'm really excited about their deal. So like the Emperor, Charles has something special planned for them. I assume this means they will be part of the main story and not Alliance Alerts. I thought Knights of the Fallen Empire and Knights of the Eternal Throne were perfect stories for them, 
But that's about to get wrapped up in Game Update 5.9, so unless Charles is keeping their return a secret, expect to see them as part of whatever happens next. And while we don't know what the next thing is, Charles did say that Kira coming back this year is all but assured. Well, whenever our companions return, I'm sure we'll regale them with tales of how we defeated Isaacs and the other mighty gods from the machine, assuming, of course, we can actually defeat Isaacs. Eric showed us a little teaser of this big baddie, and we got a glimpse of just why Isaacs is the end boss. Gods from the Machine saw a ramp up in the overall difficulty and complexity of the boss fights from what we've seen in the past. Each new boss was harder than the last, and Isaacs will continue this trend. First, he's huge. We're talking terror from beyond size here. Matt Pusevich, who designed the encounter and was on the stream to talk about it, said that in veteran mode, Isaac's melee attack damage is 136,000, and his max HP is 104 million. Now you're probably wondering, if his health is 104 million, how long is this fight going to take? Here's what Matt said about that. Oh, the enrage time is 58 minutes, so... (laughs) I don't know about anyone else, but when I heard Matt mention the 104 million hit points the 136,000 melee damage, and the 58-minute enrage timer, my reaction was pretty much this. This sucker's electrical, but I need a nuclear reaction to, to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. 1.21 gigawatts! 1.21 gigawatts! Great Scott! Great Scott, indeed. Those boss numbers sound like they're from a version of SWOTOR created in 2048, not 2018. Matt did go on to say that he was joking about the 58-minute enrage timer. Given that the man gets paid to find painful ways to kill us, it should come as no surprise that he has a twisted sense of humor. And by twisted, I mean awesome. And I'm totally not joking about that being his job. Here is what he said about why they design the encounters the way they do. It's the the corner line you hear all the time, but the reason we do all this is to create entertainment, to create emotion. I won't even necessarily say always positive emotion, you know, <laughs> stress and panic and stuff like that are, are part of what you're looking to create, but the purpose of this is to is to create emotion and, and a challenge and share experiences. Now, Matt did say uh, that on the PTS, nobody has defeated Isaacs in veteran mode. In fact, the very first pull lasted eight seconds. So maybe he's gone too far down the negative emotion scale with this boss. We'll know in a few days when Isaacs is finally released. And now that Gods from the Machine is complete, we can start to turn our focus to the next operation. And here's what Matt said about how they might approach it in terms of difficulty. Um, I don't know that we would want to make a set of encounters that are are this intricate, uh, at least not for a bit. Uh, it's a it's a it's a good thing to have every now and again, but it might be better to to try and shoot for like a more straightforward design for the next few. Because I don't know if you guys have played these bosses, but they're kind of pug killers here and there. But here and there, I mean, it's <laughs> kind of the whole way through. Yeah. Um, so you know, 
Maybe we'll avoid that a little bit. But I'm, I am proud of what we've done here, and I am proud to have been able to do it. My feeling on operations is this. They have three difficulty, mo- difficulty modes in this game. Story, Veteran, and Master. Story should be 100% puggable. Eight random people who have never met before should be able to go into the operation and clear it. Not everything needs to be a one-shot, but the chances of clearing it should be high. You still want to require tanks, healers, and DPS, but the fight mechanics should be extremely forgiving. Veteran mode should require an organized group of players. It should require some form of voice chat and have mechanics you can't ignore. But overall, the learning curve should be low to medium. A group of average players should be able to get it on farm status. Master mode should be for the people who want a real challenge. You probably want everyone in your group to min-max and have the best gear, and you might even want a specific composition of classes for your group. Master mode should be for people who don't mind wiping 400 or more times on a boss before they get it down. That's going to do it for the live stream and the gods from the machine. I now want to talk about another machine that originated from Iocath, and that's the Gravestone. It was one of the great moments in Knights of the Fallen Empire. You're inspecting an area of the gravestone when you hear the strange whispers. Like a siren's call, they beckon you to follow them until you find yourself standing in the dark sanctuary, the seemingly organic heart of this technological wonder. Valkorion appears before you and says, I take it you have questions. I remember thinking that one of the dialogue options better be, I take it you have answers. Valkorion doesn't even attempt to satisfy our curiosity, and instead, he tries to shift our focus when he tells us, The real question to ask is, why are we here? Expecting answers about the gravestone and the dark sanctuary right then and there was a bit much to hope for. When we landed on Iocath and Knights of the Eternal Throne, I was certain that we'd learn all about the gravestone and her secrets. We learn that Iocath's original inhabitants created her and the Eternal Fleet as part of their twisted war games, but that was it. Nothing more was revealed about this steadfast ship and her inner chamber. And just like that, the Dark Sanctuary took its rightful place alongside the caves on Dagobah and Octu as unexplained mysteries in Star Wars that left you scratching your head, or worse, wishing you could get that five minutes of your life back. While Dagobah and Octu will forever remain sources of mystery and great debate, we may yet find out the significance of the Dark Sanctuary. An avid Swotor player who goes by Crazy Gamer Mom on Twitter expressed to Charles Boyd her disappointment at the loose threads that Fallen Empire and Eternal Throne left dangling in front of us. She tweeted to Charles, I take it you have questions? Yes, and I still do. Like, what is this, the significance of this Dark Sanctuary? What happened to the gravestone after Kotet? Why did it seem so important, but was hardly ever used? Are we ever going to see it again? Unlike the story, Charles Boyd didn't leave crazy gamer mom, mom hanging, and he replied with good news when he wrote, What is the significance of this dark sanctuary? You'll see. Now, if that weren't enough, during the live stream, Charles drew our attention to one of Isaac's abilities that was seen in the Isaac's teaser clip. That that beam that came out of Isaac's chest looked looked pretty familiar. Oh yeah, that does yeah. yeah you know, looks yeah. Not so, a lot. Yeah. You know, maybe a little hinted something to come uh, when five nine comes out. I don't know. It'd be cool. It'd be fun. 
I heard this and immediately a light bulb went off and a wild theory suddenly appeared. What if the gravestone is more than meets the eye? What if the gravestone is a robot in disguise? I'm beginning to think that the gravestone might actually be the serpent god Zildrog. While I did come up with this on my own, I'm not the only one out there who thinks this, and I've seen similar thoughts from others, including fellow influencers. In fact, someone on Twitter sent me a link to a post from a blog called Shades of Grayas. This post was written in August of 2017, and it posits this exact theory. If this does turn out to be right, I have to say it's pretty cool. The Nathema Conspiracy isn't just the end of the traitor storyline, it's the end of the Knights of story that began with Fallen Empire, and I'm pleased to see that it might wrap up some of the loose ends and solve some nagging mysteries. Game Update 5.9 The Nathema Conspiracy goes live on May 1st, 2018, and if the gravestone is indeed Zildrog, then Theron Shan might be the least of our worries. Since we have over a month before we can play the newest story, I want to continue updating you on the original stories and the project that I'm working on. What I'm attempting to do is play all eight classes and move them through their class, companion, and planetary stories all at once. The goal is to find a playthrough that works chronologically. I'm not going for canon. So far, I've gotten through all of the starter planets and the two capital worlds, Dromenkos and Coruscant. Today, I'm going to talk about the Imperial story on the war-torn world of Balmora. Before I begin, I want to warn you that I'm going to get into spoilers and plot points and play some clips, so if you haven't done all of the class stories or other stories that are part of the 1-50 to experience, you might want to bow out now. For everyone else, I want to start with a brief recap on the Imperial side of the story, and just as a reminder, I'm going to refer to the characters as he or she based on the gender I chose for my characters just makes it easier to talk about them. There is absolutely nothing about the story that suggests you must choose a specific gender for a class, although there are certain story moments that you can only experience as male or female, some of them quite good. So the story thus far for the Empire is this. The bounty hunter traveled to Dromenkos and earned her way into the Great Hunt, despite attempts by the nefarious Tarot Blood to keep her out. She completed three impossible bounties and won the Grand Melee. With the Great Hunt officially underway, the Bounty Hunter is now tracking targets on Balmora and Nar Shaddaa. The Sith Inquisitor joined her master on the capital world of Droman Kaas. Lord Zass tasked her apprentice with killing her master, the cybernetic Sith Lord Darth Scotia. The Inquisitor kills Darth Scotia, although no one believes it because she's just an apprentice. No one can prove that Lord Zash did it either, so she's free to move forward with her mysterious plan. Zash sends the Inquisitor to the Dark Temple to retrieve an artifact of Tulak Hordes. While in the temple, she meets the Force Ghost of Lord Kalig, who tells the Inquisitor that she is his ancestor. Kalig was Tulak Hordes' chief rival and was ultimately killed by Horde. One must delight in the irony that Kem Val, Tulak Hordes' most trusted ally, is now serving Tulak Horde's greatest enemy. The Inquisitor gets the artifact, and Lord Zash sends her to Balmora and Nar Shaddaa to find two more. The Sith warrior meets his master, Darth Barriss, on Droman Kaas. Barriss has an extensive spy network infiltrating the Republic, but his agents are beginning to have their covers blown. After interrogating a top SIS agent, Barriss learns that the apprentice of his longtime rival, 
Jedi Master Nomen Carr has a special ability that allows you to root out and discover Barriss's hidden agents. Barriss wants the warrior to find this apprentice, but he also needs him to eliminate Barriss's agents before they're compromised. The first agents are on Balmora and Nar Shaddaa. The Imperial agent returns to Intelligence Headquarters, where he learns of an imminent terrorist plot aimed at destroying Kos City. The agent thwarts the terrorist plans, but it turns out that Kos City was a secondary target. The real target was Dark Council member Darth Jadis. The terrorists managed to destroy Jadis' ship with him in it. There were no survivors. A man known as the Eagle took credit for the kill. The agent's mission now is to disrupt the Eagle's network and take down the Eagle himself. The agent is dispatched to Balmora in Narshada, where he is to infiltrate and dismantle two of the Eagle's terrorist cells. That's the story thus far. At this point, you have a choice of where to go, Balmora or Narshada. In terms of level, Balmora comes first, but there's nothing to stop you from going to Narshada instead. The only thing I'll say about that is, whatever planet you choose to go to, I'd recommend taking all of your characters there rather than splitting them up. The reason for this is the planetary story on Balmora factors into the order in which you should play the classes, and completing that story is one of the last things you should do. I chose to go to Balmora, so let's head there now. My recommended play order for Balmora is Bounty Hunter, Sith Inquisitor, Imperial Agent, and Sith Warrior. This is mostly based on personal preference and not story events that dictate who should go first or last. I like having the Bounty Hunter go first, and I like playing her all the way through before anyone else arrives. This is based on two conversations the Bounty Hunter has with Lieutenant Major Perel, who as far as Imperial Stooges go, is great. He's up there with the likes of Minister Lorman. The first conversation happens when the bounty hunter returns from her mission to agitate the Colicoids. You're alive. Magnificent. Frantic reports of Colicoid attacks are pouring in from all over the planet. I've included a generous bonus with your payment. This flows nicely with the Sith Inquisitor story. The Inquisitor is up to her eyeballs in Colicoids, and while they are normally aggressive and dangerous, the bounty hunter's actions makes the Inquisitor's job that much harder and her circumstances that much dire. The next conversation is one between the bounty hunter and Perel, where the lieutenant major discusses the current state of the war. Reports indicate that the Republic forces that stayed on Balmora after we invaded are training resistant fighters at the Balmoran Arms Factory. Perel doesn't explicitly state that the Empire is just learning of the Republic's involvement on Balmora, but when you look at this conversation in the context of what Lord Zash tells the Inquisitor when she arrives on Balmora, it comes together nicely. The Empire has its hands full, coping with a violent Balmoran uprising. Officially, they're a grassroots militia. Secretly, they have the Republic's full backing. I've informed Major Bessaker of the Republic's involvement, so he'll be better equipped to assist you. No doubt the Republic's hounds will get in your way. 
Having heard these conversations, you could make the argument for the Sith Inquisitor going first. She arrives, and Lord Zash informs the military about the Republic, and this information spreads. The Inquisitor succeeds in her task because the Colloquoids are somewhat docile, because the Bounty Hunter hasn't made things worse. In terms of the class stories, I didn't find any definitive chronological markers that mandated an order of play. The only thing I felt that had a specific place in all of this was the planetary story on Balmora, specifically the final part that takes place in the Balmoran Arms Factory. I only chose one character to do the planetary story, while all four of the characters could conceivably sleep with Darth Lacris, they all can't capture Grand Marshal Chiquetta and expose the Republic's involvement with the Balmoran Resistance. So whichever character you choose to do that story should go last, or at the very least, be the last one to go through the Balmoran Arms Factory. As far as the planetary story goes, any class can do it, but I think it works best for either the Sith Warrior or the Imperial Agent. The Sith Warrior's mission on Balmora is secret. Even Quinn, Barriss' advisor on Balmora, is kept in the dark. Here's what Barriss tells his apprentice when it's time to finally take out Commander Rylon. The Jedi Investigator must have no hard evidence that Rylon was killed to silence him. It must look like anything but a targeted execution. Annihilate everyone there. There won't be a heart left beating. See to that. The planetary story provides the Sith Warrior with the perfect cover to hide the real reason why he's on the planet. By doing the planetary story, Commander Rylon's death looks much more like collateral damage. The story also works well for the agent because he's working undercover as a member of a deadly resistance cell. The agent is actually working against the Empire in his assignment. Doing the planetary story adds tension to the agent's story as he's always at risk at getting caught. So that's it for Balmora. I didn't see a need to fuss over the order in which the classes came and went. The only thing that mattered was choosing a character to do the planetary story and making sure that the character went to the Balmoran Arms Factory after everyone else. Remember, it's still very early on. The events that connect all of these stories together are still in the beginning stages, but they are happening. When you go through Balmora, pay special attention to the Imperial Agent's story. It ends with him capturing or killing a Resistance leader named Greystar. Greystar will come up again in the Jedi Consular story, as will Darth Lacris. Zenith, one of the Consular's companions, was a member of Greystar's cell. He's not in the Agent story, but here's what Zenith tells the Consular, as viewed within the context of the Imperial Agent's story. Meanwhile, I've been studying the Terracell structure, and there's good news. If we can take out the local leader, the cell should fall apart. What do we know about this person? The terrorists call the man in charge Grey Star. He runs the cell, gives the orders, and knows all the secrets. They claim Grey Star used to work with the Eagle, but who can be sure? Only the high-ranking cell members know Grey Star's identity. Do you have any theories about Grey Star? I don't need more theories. I need proof. I have a mole inside the terrorist cell already. He's a good lad. No cipher, though. He can bring you in. You'd have the opportunity to impress the terrorists with their trust. And gain access to their leader. Precisely. Grey Star will be ours. 
Greystar said a friend is an enemy waiting to happen, and vice versa. He was leader of the resistance cell I first joined on Balmora. Taught me plenty, before everything changed. He was a good man, almost sharp enough. Greystar was betrayed. The last Empire got an operative into our cell. We intercepted unusual communications from the Republic forces alluding to one of their people being assassinated. Well, before Sanju Pine died, he sent us some fascinating data. We put the pieces together and realized that you'd killed Greystar. We scattered, but kept up the fight. Without Greystar, the surviving terrorists will run amok for a few weeks, but soon enough, we'll round them all up. The Balmoran cell is no longer a threat. The other cells in the Eagle's network will no longer receive fresh recruits and supplies from this world. War's over. But we lost too much. Also, by this point in the story, Vet has told the Sith Warrior some interesting things about her past. Have you ever heard of Noctrayan? Pirate. Terrified the criminal world for a few decades. We didn't study many pirates in the Academy. He wasn't just a pirate, he was THE pirate. Galaxy's most wanted and all that. Noctrayan was the most famous killer in the galaxy. But he set me free. I was still slaving it up for three eyes when he crossed Nock. Or maybe he just had something Nock wanted. I never did ask. Did any of the gang survive the encounter? You mean anyone that wasn't owned as property? No, they did not. I'm still not sure how Nock got his speeders into the camp. One minute they weren't there, and then they were. He was ruthless, but not a thug, you know? Sort of a pirate prince. Freed all the slaves, and told them they could join up, or go their own way. I'm surprised he allowed a child to make that kind of decision. He was like that. Never once talked differently to me. Not sure he really understood kids. I was the smallest on the crew, and mining had taught me to fit in tight spaces. Nox's crew showed me how to steal. For a long time, I didn't feel bad about stealing. So much had been taken from me. If you recall, at the end of the story on Coruscant, the smuggler prepares to set out on the hunt for Nock Drayan's treasure. We'll hear more about him and Vet's time with his organization as the story moves on. And speaking of moving on, that's going to wrap it up for today. Let me cut in the sublight engines and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 71 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show site, which is SotorPodcast.com. And there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at SotorPodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at Sotor Podcast, or send me a direct message and be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 72, probably on or around March 23rd. Until then, remember the Sith Code, Kate is alive.